Jesus, you're the wind beneath my wings. Sweet Jesus, you're my melody and harmony. Sweet Jesus, you're the eyes that I see through. Sweet Jesus, yes, I'm dancing to your tune. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for not giving up on us. We thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. We thank you for choosing us. We thank you for liking us. We thank you for preferring us. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. We thank you that you became sin, that we can become your righteousness. Thank you that you became poor, that through your poverty, we can become rich. We pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion tonight. In the name of our Lord Jesus, Amen. We thank God for another day, another opportunity to share His Word. And we are continuing our study on Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you. And I'm sure if you have been following by now, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 has not become a memory verse. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Ideally, you should know from the verse 2 to the verse 9, 10, 11, but let's take the verse 5 that I got. At least Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, with tonight is our part 3, and we will invite Bene to continue with her perusal of Philippians chapter 2. Bene. All right, so thank you so much. And- Good evening, I fear crisis exalted. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this passage and so on. This Christmas, um, instead of the conventional Luke and Matthew, I'll be celebrating Jesus Christ from the book of Philippians. And I invite you to do the same. So, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a born servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God also has exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, as at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And last week we learned that um, Jesus has a humble and selfless mentality. He always thinks about the needs of others before his own. And so you can check scriptures, you can check um, history, people who live fulfilling lives and who are appreciated by those who are around, uh, those who look beyond themselves and they made the lives of others better. And so the key to relevance, the key to joy in life is by putting others first. Jesus puts you first. And you find this principle of selflessness and humility um, in God's age order and principle that if you want to gain, you have to give. And that 
it is it's more blessed to give than receive and so surely you have something to offer people around you, you have something to offer the society don't live always demanding favors resources or even opportunities from others rather look for what is lacking in people's life and what is lacking in the society and reach out try to satisfy them as much as you can so you have to remember that no one owes you anything rather you owe others their obligation to love them to respect them regardless yeah and again um sometimes in life you may wonder like um sometimes i do that a lot like um what is god thinking about me what are god's thoughts towards me and i think um you should know by now that um, God's thoughts towards you are for your good and for your benefit. So um, no matter where you are or no matter what you've done, God's thoughts um, concerning you are always for your benefit and always towards your good. And so whether you are struggling, whether you are grieving, whether you are in joy or even in disobedience, it's thoughts for you are, how can I make this my daughter love and serve me better? How can I know, I'm um, sorry, how can I make this son of mine know that a dishonest way of escape is no escape at all? How can I help my church know that this is the right way and this not um, the right way? So you should be rest assured that God is always thinking thoughts to benefit you and for your good. Sometimes these thoughts are not as easy or not the rosy one we think, but we should be rest assured that whether in suffering, whether in pain, sometimes God's ways can be quite um, difficult, but you should know that his thoughts towards you are always for your good. So whether it's a difficult way or the easy route, it's always for your benefit. So know that God is having good thoughts towards you and he wants you to also have the same mind that he has which is um, having good thoughts and having thoughts to better the lives of people around you so have selfless thoughts towards your friends think of ways to help them and serve your friends better and so our focus for today is the verse 7 and verse 8 another subtopic how jesus's thoughts influence his actions so we'll go back to our, our scripture philippians chapter 7 and 8 but he made himself of no reputation taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as the man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So um, in order to appreciate these two verses, you should have grasped the truth about the deity of God. And I think that's part of what we talked about last week, the verses um, 6, which says, Who being in the form of God? And, so, and it was like, you're not talking about um, we are not having an English lecture but then the being here um, is in present continuous intense and it makes you know that it's not like Jesus Christ wasn't God and at a point in time he became God no and that's not what it means being in the form God means that Jesus Christ had always been God from eternity presently he's God and forever he will be God and so being God is part of who Jesus Christ is and he has been God from eternity. And so verse 7 said, he made himself of no reputation but took the form of a servant. So um, you can underline and 
no reputation. The strong dictionary explains it as um, to make empty or to make void. And so other versions will say he emptied himself. He emptied himself. And so um, the question is, what did he empty himself of? Did he empty himself of the nature of God? No. Um, I've already said that um, he, um, being God is who he is. So he could not stop being God. And so what then did he empty himself of? Um, and I think um, is the rights, is the advantages, and is the privileges of being God. So other versions also say, um, especially the NLT, it says that he gave up his godly privileges. He gave up his godly privileges. So even though God was God, he was served, and he had lots of privileges and advantages and rights, which came with um, his position or nature God. He decided to give up. Um, so he decided to give up all those privileges for you and I like, so um can you you can name some of these privileges some of them is um no, God cannot die and there is no way God can die no one can go to God and kill God God cannot die God cannot be tempted and someone to one says he neither sleeps nor slumber but we all read in the gospels that Jesus Christ slept in the boat because sometimes he was so so tired so Jesus Christ endured all of that because he had given up his godly privileges. And I also give three very peculiar things he gave up. And one of them is his glory, his glory. And John chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus prayed a prayer there. And he said this, Father, glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was made, which means that Jesus Christ had a certain glory. He possessed a certain glory, but when he came to this earth, he possessed that glory no more, which means that before coming to the earth, or as far as his condescension, he decided to give that glory up, the glory of um, being God. He had beauty, he had majesty, he was worshipped, he was adored, he had so much splendor and all the honor that came with being God. But Jesus Christ decided to give that all up. Again, he gave up his independence and his self-sufficiency. And this is also very evident in Jesus' speech. A lot of times he will say that, so I can do nothing on my own accord. I can do nothing on my own initiative. And John 12, 49, he said that I speak not for myself. The Father tells me what to say and even how to say it. So Jesus Christ gave up his independence. He gave up his self-sufficiency. Now he had to depend on another. And also um, Psalm 115 verse 3, the Bible says that our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Whatever he pleases, he does. But Jesus Christ gave that up. So Jesus Christ no more did what he as Jesus Christ pleased, but then he did the pleasure of another person. And as we move on, we'll get to know this um, particular person or who Jesus Christ decided to please and not himself. The last one I'll talk about is, um, you see, Jesus Christ was in the place of highest authority. He was the creator and he was served by his creation, he was served by angels, he was served by man, he was served by creation. Um, the Bible says that day and night, angels bowed before him saying, holy, holy, holy. He was given praises, he was adored, he was worshipped, he was honored by thousands and thousands of angels. And so these angels, 
angels and all creations served Jesus Christ. He was served, but then he gave up this place of being served so that he could serve you and I. So he he has creator. He had created a lot of creations so that these creations could serve him. But then he decided to take a place of one of his creation. And then he decided to serve his creation. So he gave up the place of being served. And now he served us. He served you and I. And Jesus served all manner of people. He served children. Um, he served widows. He served them um, ordinary fishermen. He served those who were sick. He even served those who were deaf and those who were even dead. So the next phrase says that um, after he made himself of no reputation, he took the form of a servant coming in the likeness of man. And so here we see the form here again. Last week we said that the form is not just size or shape, but it means essence or nature. And so the verse says that um, the previous verse 6 says, being in the form of God, being in the form of God, being in the form God, and so one God, one creator, we don't have many gods, but then here it says, being in the form of a servant, so there are lots of servants, or there are lots of creations, so the Bible says, um, Jesus Christ, who is God, now takes the form of a servant, and to be more specific, he took the form of, or he came in the likeness of men, so Jesus Christ is God, he's of and the nature God, but he decides to take another nature. And this other nature is the man's servant. So Jesus Christ, who is God, having the nature God, decides to take another nature upon himself. And this nature is the nature of man who is a servant. And so um, that's why most people will say that a lot of us, we know it's in Christian doctrine that Jesus Christ is 100% man and he's 100% God. And so um, when you look at um, John chapter 10, verse 33, after Jesus Christ has said, I and my father are one, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. They wanted to kill him. And I'm sure you'll be wondering why. It was because Jesus looked so ordinary. He looked just like them. He looked just like a man and so they just accused him that you are like man you are ordinary like us but then you are talking as though you were god and so that's the beauty and wonder of the whole thing that the whole incarnation that jesus christ was so so much ordinary he was so so much human that it was difficult to even think he was god but then when you also look at his deity he was so so much of god he was 100 percent god that it will be difficult for you to conceive the thoughts that he is human so jesus christ was god and then he became human as well. And so we see Jesus Christ, who is God, who has the brightness of God's glory and worshiped in majesty by thousands of angels, descend to become lower and lower to be a man and to be subject to all the extreme limitations of man. And he did not come just as a man, but then he came as a servant. And so I wanted to get um, a very good illustration to illustrate this, but then a lot of the illustrations that I have are just underestimations. Like, let's say, thinking about 
Asantehni in Kumasi, we have the Asantehni. You can think about Asantehni as becoming one of his servants. You see, those servants who are whose head um, is shaved, they don't have any hair. They are not given clothes to wear, especially from waist up, and then they sit at the feet of the Asantehni. Yeah, so it's like. If you could conceive the thoughts of Astantini lowering himself to the, the point of that particular servant, it could compare it, but then it's still an underestimation, like a man or a human being taking the form of, let's say, the smallest animal, or let's say a very small animal like an ant. It's still an underestimation. So sometimes it's difficult for us to conceive the thoughts of God himself becoming man, subjecting himself to such extreme limitation. And that's how come we are trying to appreciate the humility of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ also said that I stand among you as one who serves. And again, he also says that the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for all. So what does it mean to be served? We said initially that Jesus Christ is God and now he becomes man and not just man, he becomes a servant. So what does it mean to become a servant? Servants are um, devoted to the will of another. They don't do things on their own accord. They are always doing things to please their master. And so even if as a servant you have a will of your own, your will doesn't matter anymore because you disregard your own will and you submit to the authority and will of another or your master. And so as we discussed, Jesus Christ came in the likeness of man. So um, he was found also in in the appearance of man. And so he was like man in every way. And we know one thing peculiar about men is their will. And so Jesus Christ had a will and his will was separate from the Father's will. You can call many, many times Jesus saying that I came not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. So um, if you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 5, verse 30, verse 30 and 31. Jesus said, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. Verse 31, he says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. And um, you see, that's, that's um, quite interesting for Jesus Christ to say that I can be wrong or my witness is not true. But um, you understand this better as Gethsemane, where Jesus Christ said, not my will, but yours be done. So clearly the Father's will was the cross. Jesus had to go to the cross, but Jesus Christ's will was not. When he looked at the agony that he was going to experience and the pain he had to endure, the humiliation that he had to endure, he was man, he had feelings, he had emotions, he had fears. And so he said, not my will, but yours be done. And so um, that's why he could say that my witness as a man is false because he knew that as a man he could make mistakes. As a man he could be controlled by his emotions and he could be controlled by his fears. But God's will was always the best and that's why he always subject his will to the Father's will in order for him to be right. And so my dear, if Jesus Christ did not trust his own judgments as a man, when he was a man, if he did not trust his own judgments, he should 
shouldn't either. You shouldn't think you will be right or you are right. If what you are doing or if what you are thinking is not as God has said, then it's not true. And so you have to, as Jesus Christ, submit your will to the Father's will. And so um, in Jesus' life, he so submitted his will to that of the will of the Father that you barely see the difference until at Gethsemane. So it was at Gethsemane that when he said, not my will, but your will be done. Now we saw that really Jesus Christ had a will which was separate from the will of the Father. And so Jesus demonstrated what you and I ought to do. And sometimes I like to call Jesus Christ as um, let's say an errand boy because that was what he portrayed. He gave up his independence. He became a slave and he became a slave of the father because it seemed as though that um everything that he had to do was the, the father had to say it before he did it and i spoke about it in john 12 49 he said even what he had to say and even how he had to say it the father had to dictate for him to say it before he said it and so it was like everything the father had to say jesus to say yes sir. everything um, the holy spirit had to say or yeah or had to tell jesus christ jesus to say yes sir yes sir yes sir. and so was like Jesus Christ was an errand boy and it was like at your service I'll do it if the father is saying something Jesus Christ to say yes if the Holy Spirit is saying something Jesus Christ to say yes and it was never at his own will but then it was always the will of his father and so you may have wondered if Jesus gave up all his divine privileges and all his divine abilities how come he was able to heal the sick how come he was able to do miracles and all that and your answer is in um, Acts chapter 10 verse 38 the Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him and so there you have it Jesus Christ was able to do all the miracles because one he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and the second one is because God was with him and as I said he was like an errand boy he was a servant so each time the Holy Spirit said something Jesus said yes sir anytime um, God the Father instructed Jesus Christ to do anything he said yes sir was saying yes your will be done and so if you were not were able to submit our will to God if you're able to submit to God and be able to submit to the Holy Spirit as Jesus Christ did then surely we can do more as Jesus Christ said and you remember his promise in John chapter 14 he says that he who believes in me will do the works I do and even greater works so um the promise that Jesus Christ gave is not an empty promise it's really true because Jesus Christ was like you and I who subject to limitations, was subject to fears, was subject to hunger, temptations and all that, but he was able to endure because of his submission to God the Father and because of his submission to the Holy Spirit. And so continuing, the Bible says that he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And Jesus Christ said that the one who sent me is with me and he has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. And I've said this, that Jesus Christ was always looking for ways to please the Father. He did all that he could to please the Father. And it's not so with a lot of us. A lot of us are people pleasers. We do things because we want to please man. We do things because we want to please the one close to us or someone we have seen or people around us. But not so with Jesus Christ, his preoccupation 
preoccupation and his disposition, his mentality was, I have to please the Father. I have to please the one who sent me. I have to please the Father. And so if you want to be like Jesus, as we've been saying, that as Christians, we have to live like Jesus Christ. We have to walk in his stead. If we want to live like him and think like him, his inner um, disposition or orientation, his mentality was, I have to please the Father. I have to please the Father. And so that should be your preoccupation. That should also be your mentality that you will live not to please men, but you live to please the Father as Jesus Christ lived to please the Father. So Jesus Christ lived a life of obedience. He never sinned. So sometimes I wonder, I'm married and the mother of Jesus Christ. It might have been a relief to her because some of us, when we were kids, we were very stubborn. We used to disobey our parents a lot. But then Mary had a child who was sinless and who always obeyed. And it's also very important to note that obedience to God wasn't easy for Jesus Christ as well. See, just as you struggle to obey God, just as sometimes it's difficult for you to say, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus also was finding it difficult and such, getting up um, at dawn to pray and preaching to the multitude, suffering hunger and being tempted. They were not easy for Jesus Christ. They were also difficult for Jesus Christ. But then it was because his mind was made up, I have to please the Father. He did it. And so it was Gethsemane that he reached his breaking point. And so that's why he said that um, not my will, but your will be done. And you can see from the text, it says that he became obedient to the point of death and he stressed on it even the death on the cross there's something peculiar about the cross and the reason why the Jews crucified Jesus Christ wasn't because they wanted him dead no and they could have just cut off his head like John the Baptist or they could have stoned him or killed him in any way but then the cross was for people who were the worst of criminals like you've done something really 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 bad of a slave so yeah either when you are crucified it's either you are a slave like a very very low slave who has um, done something wrong or you are the worst of criminals and the purpose of and the cross was to make you suffer a very humiliating a very slow and shameful and very very painful death and so people could spend um, let's say three to four days on the cross hanging there naked and so the venue for the cost of the situation it was at um, the outskirts of the town and so passerbyers could see you and foreigners could see you and they could spit on you they could throw stones at you and no one cared because it was like you've been deserted or like they've left you to die so no one cared so Jesus Christ was really really humiliated when he was crucified on the cross and there are lots of miserable things that happened to him on the cross and so you could perhaps like read on it or search on it to know how um, excruciating Jesus's pain was when he was on the cross and even as I told you about the outskirts and um, the situation or the location for the cross they were crucified at the outskirts of the town and when you read Leviticus when you became unclean or unclean things were dealt with outside the tent so if something was unclean or you were unclean you were supposed to be outside the tent you have to wash and do a lot um, something 
things before you come and um, some rituals before you come inside or you become part of the congregation so you can see that Jesus was treated as unclean and um, aside all the painful experiences that was um, associated with the cross Jesus was also treated as unclean something which was um, supposed to be dealt away with and so we see Jesus Christ who was God become very low and low and low he, he came to the lowest point so from God he became man and then he became a servant he was like an errand boy as I said he endured the humiliation of men he was insulted he was um, mocked he was humiliated by the men he came to save and he endured all these things the west and the west and the west and it was all because of one thing it was all because Jesus Christ did not consider it robbery to be equal with God it was because Jesus Christ did not cling or he did not hold on to his title as God or he did not hold on to his position or privileges as God and in short we can say Jesus Christ could endure all these things because he was humble and I like what one of my teachers says he, he likes to say that thank God for the humility of Jesus Christ and I love um, that particular phrase thank God for the humility of Jesus Christ because had Jesus said oh no had Jesus um, not giving up his divine abilities or his divine and privileges had Jesus been proud we would have no savior and you and I would still be in our sins so we cannot say thank God for Jesus thank God for the humility of Jesus Christ who became lower and lower and lower so as we are celebrating Christmas bear this in mind that Jesus Christ was humble Jesus Christ did not take, did not cling to positions. He did not cling to um, um, his position as God, but in humility, he let his go. And that's why he was able to come to the earth. Had he thought of himself alone, he wouldn't have come down to the earth to suffer such horrific treatment from a man. But then it was because he was humble, he decided to come down to save you and I. And so um, deeply rooted in our salvation is the fact that Jesus Christ is and he was humble because of his humility he came down to save you and I and so you can also see from the life of Jesus Christ that he was obedient and all that he did was out of obedience because the father says this and he would do it he was preoccupied with pleasing the father pleasing the father pleasing the father and so obedience follows humility it will be very difficult for you to obey God if you are proud and so if you check your life and then your obedience level is very low a lot of times you are disobedient to god you are not doing the right thing or you are always disobeying god check or examine yourself you can see it deeply rooted in your disobedience is pride and so you have to deal with it yeah so obedience will follow humility it will be difficult for you to obey god if you are not humble and so we can contrast them um, the life of all the character of jesus christ with the devil jesus christ was the creator but he was willing to become a creature he was willing to become a servant satan was a creature wanted to become god he was looking for ways to become god or become like the creator jesus christ was humble he did not cling on to um, positions and titles and places of power but then 
Satan was proud and he held tight to possesses of power and he even sought for what did not belong to him. And Jesus Christ also did everything. He wasn't thinking about himself. Had he thought of himself, he wouldn't have come to the earth to die for you. The devil was thinking about himself and because he was thinking about himself, he committed such an act which led to his downfall. And so you can compare your own mentality, your inner disposition or your attitude with any of these two and you can see who you are emulating whether you, you are emulating um, Jesus Christ or the devil are you always looking for ways to please people and not God are you um, um, looking for ways to serve others or you want always to serve yourself you have to think about it and ask God to help you so that you can emulate Christ because as I said it will be very difficult for you to obey God and you know that our Christian life we have to live or our life is the work of faith and obedience to God and so it will be very difficult to have a very good um, work as a Christian with God if you are not humble because you find it's very difficult to obey and so between Jesus Christ and the devil we know the end of the devil and so you can compare the end of the devil and the end of Christ and you will know where you are heading towards whether you are relating Jesus Christ or the devil so we pray that God helps us so God willing next week and um, we will look at the end of Jesus Christ and his exaltation. So I'll end here and then I'll let down and the others continue. Thank you so much and God bless you. Amen. Amen. God bless you too. Thank God for the humility of Jesus. We would like to invite Abna to give us her commentary on what we have discussed this evening. Abna. So today we've discussed some few keywords have been highlighted humility submission and obedience so humility is needed for us to be able to submit we must note that and in order to submit to god we must first deny our flesh of pleasure and this is quite a difficult task i must say and i know as christians we can all admit that one way or another we've had to have a battle with our mind and our spirit there's usually a battle between our mind and our spirit and if our spirit is able to overcome the battle and win then obedience to god becomes very very easy but if we are not able to submit to god first obedience will always be a battle and a struggle for us and jesus who was the essence of god as ben has already said submitted to god like he of all people submitted to god who are we not to submit to god and jesus put our needs before his needs and he knew that he needed to be a sacrifice for the sake of humanity to be able to redeem humanity so he submitted and obeyed god so that we could be redeemed and i want to tell you today that people are counting on your obedience to god like obeying god goes a long way to win souls along the line one way or another you win a soul just by obeying god you minister to somebody by obeying god so the next time you're contemplating on disobeying god and pleasing your flesh i want us to always remember that souls are somewhere and they are perishing let the will of god be done in your life and not yours thank you thank you so much people are counting on your obedience are really counting on our obedience to the call of God, the instructions of God concerning your life. 
Just think about it. Your pastor, if he hadn't given his life to Christ, do you know where you would have been today? There is a story that is shared about, and I think Billy Graham, that an evangelist went to preach and did an altar call. The altar call was only one young 16-year-old boy who came forward. And the guy was really downhearted and brokenhearted that God, all the fastings I've done, all the efforts, the investment, gathering of speakers, gathering people and all those things, only one person accepted to give his life to Christ. Little did he know that that little boy that came before him that day will become who we know today as the greatest evangelist that has ever lived. Reverend Billy Graham, people are counting on your obedience. He would invite Baba to give us a commentary. Thank you very much. And I would also hit on the reputation aspect. How to use the instance where David in the Bible was dancing and jubilating to the extent that his garment was stripped of him. It's it's not easy to have a reputation and maybe act in a certain manner, but the more you think highly of yourself and then then the more you tend to drift away from doing what God wants you to do. For instance, maybe you are in a company of friends or at West Society and then everyone has their eyes on you like you are maybe the chairman or Buji of your group or something. So you really find it difficult stepping back to pick up um, a minor role or something that is more humbling. So I would like to say that no matter who you are, no matter your status in society, no matter the, the accord and the respect, and no matter how highly people think about you, you are not so big to be humble and then do or act in the will of God that God wants you to do. Even Jesus, who was God and is God and will forever be God, held back, did not consider all the privileges that came with being God, but rather picked up the form of man and did everything, even to the point of dying shamefully. Then we really have to not consider ourselves of any reputation at all and be humble so that God will lift us up. Amen. Amen. God bless you so much. God bless you so much. I want us to just read the verse. On Sunday, after church, I was walking back home and a thought just came to mind. And I want us to take note of something in the verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of a man. As I was walking back from church last Sunday, I just had a conversation in my mind. And it's about the fact that I think I overheard a statement that someone was telling, someone was giving somebody um, a relationship advice or something like that. And it was like, oh, you just leave your husband. And things would work out. You just focus on your work and your children. Things will work out. Then it was an interesting advice because one way or the other, we think that things happen by themselves. We think that things can get done without work or an effort being put into it. So many of us think that our Christian life should become better. Many of us think that our Christian life will become richer by natural means. If you like, stop eating and see whether you will grow. <laughs> if you like, stop drinking water and see whether you will grow. If you like, stop sleeping and see whether you will grow. 
So even growth, you need to put in some effort, you need to put in some work to grow. But many of us, we are just living our Christian life, thinking that the more we are Christians or the longer the duration of our Christianity, would one way or the other influence our maturity in Christ. The Bible said that Jesus made himself. You have to make yourself humble. You have to make yourself obedient. You have that. So you need to put in that effort. You don't expect your mind to be renewed when you don't put any effort daily to be like this. No work gets done without work. So that's why mostly in marriages or relationships after marriages, you know, the ladies start to complain that when you're dating, you're calling me, you're doing this, you're doing that, but immediately you go mad. It's like I no longer exist. Now I'm now like your sister. You're treating me like your sister instead of your spouse. Because one way or the other, we think that just by cohabiting with the person, the marriage would work. Everything that just by accepting Jesus, our Christian life will become fruitful. It doesn't work like that. Because many of us are not putting in the effort daily to renew our minds. Therefore, our minds, our thinking pattern, are the disposition and the mental attitude of our hearts and our minds are not like that of Jesus. You need to put in that effort daily. Because Jesus made himself. He didn't just sit in heaven and say, I'm becoming a man. No, he had to make himself. And he took upon himself the form of a servant. You must make that deliberate effort to be humble. You must make that deliberate effort not to consider titles. You must make that deliberate effort to obey God. Things don't just happen spontaneously. And the only thing that happens spontaneously is bad things. So the, the story or the scenario given in Proverbs, when the writer says that I passed by the farm of a slothful man or of a lazy man, and he writes this lazy man was not planting anything on the farm. Interestingly, the farm was not bare. Weeds were growing on the farm. And it's the same thing with our Christian life. If you do not make the effort of planting godly seeds of the word of God in your heart and in your minds daily, if you do not make the effort of planting planting godly seeds of prayer, planting godly seeds of fellowship, and the rest, you don't expect your Christian life to become fruitful. You don't expect your Christian life to get better. You don't expect your relationship with God to become stronger. But you just leave it to chance, thinking that as the days go by, to become more mature. But he made himself and he took upon himself. We want to pray for grace. That Father, maybe pay this price. It cost Jesus a lot to be humble. And we can all see that in Gethsemane. His body wanted to give up. His flesh was tired of being bamboozled in the body of flesh. It was weakness for him. And you see, the, the best way to be able to understand this is imagine yourself taking upon yourself the, the form of a goat. Imagine yourself being a goat. That's how Jesus had to stoop so low. Even that one guy, where he went, because dignity, the Bible had no idea what it felt like to even sleep or to even go hungry or to even go to the washroom. Hey! Jesus went to the washroom for your sake. <laughs> you want to pray to God for grace. That Father, may we make that effort daily, that the mind of Christ will be in us. That the mind of Christ will be in us. We can't leave our Christian life to chance. We can't leave our development to chance. We can't leave our spiritual growth to chance. Because if we do not plant godly seeds, wheat would grow. Father, we pray for grace that every day we make an effort part the mind of Christ. That every day, you make an effort to manifest the mind of Christ 
after every day to make an effort to live out in humility, to live out in obedience and in submission to your will. Father, we pray that may we be conscious of this responsibility that is laid upon us as children of God, that this mind which was in Christ should also be in us, that we would take upon ourselves the form of the servant, that we would take upon ourselves the nature of Christ that it has been really deposited in us. We pray that, Father, every day of our life, may we live in this consciousness, may we live in this reality that the mind of Christ needs to be exuded, that the mental disposition, that the mental state, that the state of the heart of Christ should be our state. In the name of our Lord Jesus, Amen. We thank you so much for being around. Remember to give God your best and make sure that you owe no man nothing but love. See you next week and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.